Matthew 4:18 through 5:20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing, <clears throat> and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, <coughs> for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, <clears throat> Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, 
Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. a series on the Gospel of Matthew, and excuse me a second, um, we're, uh, our, our intention is to look at uh, Matthew and walk with Jesus through the Gospel and, and notice how Jesus gives us hope. Um, Jesus' uh, Jesus's kingdom is a kingdom of hope, and, um, and, and it occurred to me that in order to, uh, to have hope, um, you have to have some idea of what you would define as good. Uh, so hope, when you hope for something, you're, you have a sense of something you wish would happen, and that wishing is something that you would hopefully be called good. Um, no one hopes for bad things, generally speaking. Uh, so it's, it's hard to be a hopeful person if you don't know how to define good. What is good? Is that making sense? Um, and, and it struck me, uh, that we live in a world that doesn't really have a very clear definition of goodness. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a silly example. Um, I uh, sometimes use timers on YouTube. Does anybody else do this? They have, there's a series of videos that you can set a timer for any number of minutes. Um, one of the YouTube's many uses. So there's a 10-minute timer, there's a 20-minute timer, there's a 15-minute timer, there's an 11-minute timer. It plays a video, and then it counts down, and then it sets off a noise when it gets down to zero. Am I the only person in the world who's do doing this? Apparently. Okay. I feel suddenly isolated a little bit. Um, well, so there's a 10-minute timer um, on, on YouTube. Uh, uh, it helps me just break down my work. Now I feel like I have to justify why I do it. Um, uh, there's a 10-minute timer on YouTube that uh, has 29 million views, so I'm not alone. And... Um, and here's the top liked comment on this video. Uh, this man, the creator of the video, has benefited humanity far more than the average person can ever hope to achieve. And benefited is misspelled in the comments too, which I enjoyed. Um, it, it's, a silly, it's a silly example, and should you build uh, you know, a view of, the, of what the world thinks from a YouTube comment? No, but I'm kind of going to. Um, the, what does it tell us? I mean, part of what the world defines as good is basically anything that can be used for your own freedom. Um, what, what's good is what allows you to choose what is good, um, the way the world defines it. Uh, a, a YouTube video allows me to sort of, I mean, anyway, uh, I, I could go on and on about the, the video, but, but it just got me thinking about how does the world define what is good, what is a great achievement, um, versus how the scriptures would define it. Uh, you have to have a definition of the good in order to be a person of hope. And, and I think a large degree of our hopelessness in our culture is because no one can really tell you a, an agreed-upon definition of what is good. And, and in this passage, um, we see many things, but, but certainly what we see is that 
Jesus teaches us what goodness is. Um, and we're going to look at it under four headings, uh, which I know is one above the, uh, the acceptable <laughs> amount. But we're going we're to look at it under four headings. What, what is goodness? Uh, where is it? Uh, who is it? And how? So uh, we're going to focus mostly on the, these verses that are on your outline in the last uh, few, few verses of the passage that Todd read. Um, what is true goodness? Uh, well, you can see that I'm going to use a word that interchangeably with goodness, and I'll explain why in a minute. Righteousness. Jesus, Jesus uh, here says that your righteousness, he's talking to the people, his disciples, he's talking to people who are curious about who Jesus is. He says your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, righteousness, it, it might be a word that's hard to describe, and there's a reason for that. It, it, there's sort of several different um, verbal and adjectival and noun forms in Scripture of what this word is. Um, but one of them refers to how a person ought to live. How somebody ought to live. It's a goodness, right? Um, for Israel in particular, for the hearers of Jesus, uh, this righteousness, this goodness would have been defined by their Scriptures, by Torah. Um, and, and so Torah, right, is more than just a book of rules and regulations like we often imagine. Uh, it's, it's outlined, yes, it has all the laws for the people, the do's and the don'ts. Um, it gives regulations for worship and temple practices. Uh, it also gives the people their history, um, a history of creation, a history of, of how God has redeemed them. Uh, and, and all of that together defined righteousness for, 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 the, for the children of Israel. Uh, uh, Christopher J.H. Wright has, uh, you can see you have this definition there um, in the bottom of your outline. He's trying to get at what is righteousness? What is this goodness? He says it's a rightness um, is that which is as it ought to be, that which matches up to the standard, conformity to what is right or expected, not in some abstract or absolute generic way, but according to the demands of the particular relationship or the nature of the specific situation. Um, so uh, not necessarily a, a definition that gets you up out of your seat, but, but what is he after there? Um, it, righteousness is goodness. It's the kind of goodness um, that shows itself by doing right in each relationship that you have. Doing right before God, doing right to yourself, doing right to others, doing right to the creation. This, this is, this is a, a, a righteous person according to the scriptures. Uh, so just kind of bring that home for a moment. Imagine in your household maybe or in your neighborhood or in your work of place, uh, in your place of work, um, imagine a single day, just one day, or maybe we go one hour, where every person in that place um, did right according to each relationship, according to the commitment that they had, according to the agreement that they had and what they agreed to do in that relationship, the promises kept according to the needs of the other person. If everybody was righteous just for one hour in your family, in your place of work, uh, if everyone in that hour did right before God, did right before creation, did right to them, unto themselves, that, that's, the, that's the goodness, that's the righteousness that, that the scriptures speak about. Um, and, and so, and so it, just follow me here a little bit more. Um, the, the, the people in Jesus' hearing in this passage, they're not actually sitting there thinking a question that we often ask today. They're not asking the question, how can I be saved? They're not looking to Jesus and saying, how can I be saved? What, what the, the Israelite is asking and thinking in Jesus' hearing is they're looking 
for how Israel, through Torah, living righteously, God will use them to bring redemption to the world by living righteously. That, in such a way that, that God would actually bring new creation through his people. That, and, and I bring that to you because that's the mindset. It's a little bit of a different mindset than we have of, of, of Jesus' audience, of the Pharisees and the scribes. So, so then now you go to verse 20, right? You've got that sort of in, in, the, in the mind there, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I hope, I hope maybe you're getting a little bit of like, just a little discomfort. That, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask. Your righteousness to surpass that kind of goodness. Uh, he's looking at the righteousness of a group of people, these Pharisees and scribes, who are professionals. They're dedicated to the public adherence to the law and the intention that, that to see other people do it. Uh, and he's saying, your, your righteousness needs to surpass theirs. Um, it's a little bit like uh, Jesus is standing outside of Delisandro's, and he's saying, your cheesesteaks need to surpass the cheesesteaks of this glorious place. A little bit silly example, but that's where he's at, right? Um, if you want to enter my kingdom, you need to surpass it. And, and so, hey, just, just stay here for a moment, because if, if, you've, if you've grown up in, in uh, an evangelical tradition, uh, if you haven't, you can just sort of listen in here for a moment. Um, what you're already doing, likely, is you're, you're already jumping. When the word righteousness comes, you're making a jump. And you're thinking, well, okay, I know. I know what righteousness means, and I know where my righteousness comes from, and I know what faith, and I, and I, and I get into this relationship and this understanding of how the gospel works. And, of course, yes, we're, like we're going there. But just, just for a moment, what God wants in you is righteousness. God desires you to be good and true to every relationship that you have. Don't, don't leap off it yet, right? Don't go, well, I know I can't do that, and I know I Just this is what God desires for you. And that's not, a leg that's not legalism. That's not an oppression. That's God's good character wants this in and for you. That's a good thing. God wants that for you. So, so that's what it is. I, I do right by every relationship I have, both toward God, toward the creation, toward others, toward myself. I do right by that. That's the goodness. Now, so that's what it is. Now, now where is it? Uh, it's a bit of a strange question, but if you, if you look and see, uh, focus on this word that Jesus uses. He says um, he's after something that is surpassing. It's a surpassing righteousness. Um, and if you're like me, when you, read, when you hear that word for a long time, I just sort of imagine that to be more righteousness, right? I kind of substitute just lots of righteousness um, and, and surpassing. Uh, a better word in one translation is superior righteousness. Uh, it, only because it gets, it gets, at, it gets at maybe um, a misconception we have. Uh, you, so if you think about it like this, it, if you say that a work of, a work of an artist uh, surpasses that of, of all the artists who came before her in, in that discipline. Um, you're not, of course, saying that that artist ha simply has more works, right? Their, their studio is just full of works. 
No, if, they, if their work surpasses, there's a deeper, there's a richer quality to it. There's something that that artist has done that no other artist has been able to achieve. Uh, and that's, that's what Jesus is about. It's not about more righteousness. It's not more like a burden on your back, more doing, more following. It's, a, it's something, there's a ri- richer quality to it um, that, that Jesus is after. And so what's, what's the quality that he's after? What's the surpassing quality? Um, it actually comes, if we take a step back and look at the whole sermon, so just like zoom up with me, go, go on the drone, and we'll look at the whole thing for a second. Um, it, it, it actually is rooted in the way the whole sermon works, the Sermon on the Mount. So how does the Sermon on the Mount work? What, what, what's going on? Uh, for most of my life, I've, I misread it. And even though I know what I'm about to say to you, I still misread the Sermon on the Mount in a fundamental way. Um, so, so listen in, this might be you. Um, th- there's a mistake that I make, and I assume Jesus is speaking to two different parties in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what are the two groups he's comparing in the Sermon on the Mount? Just, just think for a moment. Um, I assume always, I don't know where this came from, but my assumption is Jesus is speaking to um, two groups. On the one hand, he's speaking to pagans and people who rebel and deny God over here. And on the other hand, he's speaking um, to, uh, to those who are willing to listen to him, to those who want to follow him, to, to, to Christians. Um, so, so in other words, Jesus sort of comes to, to work out and talk to the irreligious and the religious. Uh, he, he wants to separate out those who go to church and those who don't. I mean, that's a more of a crude way of saying it. Um, but um, I, I think it was uh, Dr. Morton Lloyd-Jones, his book on the Sermon on the Mount, it, uh, it sort of just very simply said, no, that's actually not the two groups. Are you with me on this? Um, that, that's not who Jesus is actually talking to. Uh, it, the, the sermon's central comparison is not between evil people and good people. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually between pharisaical righteousness and surpassing righteousness. It's between religious living on the one hand and, uh, and following Jesus on the other. Uh, so, so just look, look what's coming. Here, look at, I'll give you a real clear example. Uh, in chapter 6, verse 2, listen to what Jesus says. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, so who's he after? He's actually, he's, after, he's, he's not talking to those who have never set foot in a church. He's saying, don't be like the people who not only go to worship, but they're faithful givers. He says, don't be like those people. He's talking about people who are religious. That's the comparison. He's talking about religious people um, versus, versus something else, versus a different quality. Um, so what's that quality? We can go back to our where question. What's the, what's the difference between those, those two different people? Um, it's a quality of goodness that isn't just in our behaviors, but it's, it resides in the heart. That's the where, right? It's, it's a surpassing righteousness that is within us at the center of your being. Uh, some of you I know here are in the process of learning to drive or new drivers. Any new drivers? In the, I, I know there's a few of you around. 
You don't want to identify yourself. You don't want to be known as a new driver. But there is something. Um, it's okay. There's no. There, there is something about when you learn how to drive. You know, you 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 read. Well, I guess you don't read the the manual in the glove box. The, the, the glove box. Nobody does that. But you, you have a training. You have your driver's ed courses, right? And you learn, like, this, this sign means this, and this is when I turn, and all those sorts of things. Um, there's sort of an external performance that you have. And you, you've driven behind drivers who are doing this, right? They come to a complete stop at a stop sign, right? So ridiculous. Um, and, and, and you can tell they're sort of figuring out, like, how to go about. There, there's an external performance of driving, right? But we all know, if you've driven in this region for a little bit, that in order to really drive, there's something deeper that you have to know, right? There's a deeper instinct that you must gain about how to navigate these streets, you know? Um, and the way you drive, you, you learn how to see two steps ahead. You, um, you, you know how to identify, okay, jer jersey plates, like I gotta deal with that, you know? You have, you have the, the framework, and so something deeper has happened in you. Um, except for Bonnie, by the way, she's fine. Uh, um, so there's something deeper, and it's the same way. Uh, Jesus is saying that there's a deeper, there's a deeper goodness. Um, there's a deeper something rooted that from the center of who you are that's happening inside you. Um, and and in, it's happening in such, in such a way that, um, that it's sort of an instinct in you that then manifests through your external life. So that what's going on inside matches what's happening on the outside. Um, you become the kind of person who never smiles at somebody through gritted teeth, um, and in your heart you're thinking about how much you despise that person. Uh, you become the kind of person that, that treats every person with the good that they require and need, rather than changing the way you treat people based on the way they look, based on the way how much value they can add to you, based on the way they treated you. Uh, you're the, you become the kind of person who doesn't hold secrets who doesn't need to clear their browser history, uh, who doesn't need to delete emails and texts. Uh, you, you become the kind of person who can speak truth in love when it needs to be spoken and listen at, at peace when you need to listen. Uh, what's happening on the inside, a deep righteousness manifests on the outside. You become, in a way, more free when you have this kind of righteousness. We all know what that's like. Inside, something's going on. I don't like this person. On the outside, I'm pretending. And, and we're at odds with ourselves. And so Jesus is after the quality of surpassing righteousness, something deep within us, in the center of who we are, so we're able to do good in every situation. So that's, that's where it is. So, uh, so who? Um, well, I hope just kind of with what we've said, you're beginning to maybe see why the religion that Jesus is after is kind of attractive. Um, because there's, there's sort of a, there's a leveling that happens when you think about that kind of goodness being in you. Um, the move inward is something that kind of moves out of our control. I, I don't know how to change my own heart. I don't know how that works. I can't actually put my hands into my own heart and change it. Religion... Uh, the external practice actually gives me back some control. I can control, to some degree, what I show everybody who I am, uh, how I show everybody who I am on the outside. Um, so th this, is, this is kind of at the center of the religious life. 
uh, it's an effort to bring under control what you're actually not qualified to control. If I can measure my goodness, my righteousness with my actions and my deeds and sort of gauge myself in comparison to others um, and then somehow insert God and his favor into the equation, um, then I've got some reasonable control. But the kind of righteousness that Jesus requires uh, means in its very nature that you have to surrender control. Uh, because you're not equipped or even wise to transform your heart. There, there is no one in here who has the ability to transform a heart in and up with the, with the work of their hands. Sort of a stunning admission that we have to make about ourselves. And so the righteousness that Jesus requires means letting go of control, um, being a person who lets go of control. Now, I know that um, particularly in our culture, um, some of you might be thinking that uh, being out of control is exactly what I avoid. And in fact, the people who in my life who are out of control are not people I would call righteous. Um, so, so we have to get a little bit out. What do we mean by saying um, letting go of control? Uh, a biblical word for control might be kingdom. It's hard to get our minds around kingdom as a category. But if you begin to think about control and kingdom together, you, you, you get a little bit closer to what Jesus is after. Um, in giving up control, we don't mean to be out of control, but we mean uh, what Jesus is after is surrendering our kingdoms that are presently at work in us and that we're, we're working on. Um, we're, we're all kingdom builders. Uh, the religious people Jesus is after in this sermon, uh, they've built a kingdom for their own purposes. Uh, and the church, of course, can become a kingdom for human purposes. Uh, may, if, let me just drive this home uh, a, a little bit. How, what does control look like? What does kingdom building look like in your own life? Um, does anybody here have a handbag or a, or a fanny pack? I know that's fashionable now. Um, would anybody be willing, any handbags, anybody be willing for me to take your bag and just in front of everyone, just take out all the items and just to begin to go through them all one by one? Anybody willing? I know that. No, I'm not. I love that there's people willing back there. They're the people you need to talk to, actually, in the back. They're the truly righteous. Um, you know, uh, there, there's somebody, I, I, I saw another preacher do this, and, and so it's, it's not a, an idea of my own, but it really brought home the point um, that, of course, like going through, like, what, three chapsticks, really? Like, is that really, is that really a wise story? You begin to go through, like, why do you have a picture of this in here? And your items, your carefully selected items that are in your pockets, that are in your bags right now, um, that maybe are in your, that you're building a kingdom, friends. That it's, it's your tight little knit control of life within your bag, um, within your fanny pack. This is your kingdom. Uh, would anybody here be willing to, to open up their, their home? And, and in the, pla the different rooms and places of your home where you keep um, sacred family heirlooms, or, or just even the way you arrange your bedroom. Uh, you know, th these are our little kingdoms, aren't they? There are places in every house you walk into, you're like, oh, well, clearly you don't go into that room, right? Because that's, that's the inner sanctuary of the kingdom. And so what Jesus is after is to say, is calling us to give up. Are we people who live and build these kingdoms, um, or, or are we ready to submit to his kingdom? I'll just give you one other example. Um, there, there's a more active way you can spread your kingdom. Uh, I, so I, I, I mentioned last week to some of you that I'm, I'm working on trying to develop the discipline of fasting. And so I've been fasting a number of, of uh, different times throughout the week. 
And so here's my kingdom urge in me. I can't tell you how hard it was for me not to let somebody know that I was fasting. I was around people while I was fasting, and I, I just, how can I slide this in? Oh, yeah, I haven't eaten yet. Um, now, what, what's going on? Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kingdom reputation about myself that I need to advance, right? There's a kingdom instinct in me to build my own kingdom. And so the, the righteousness that surpasses the gain's entrance into the kingdom of God um, is not just about something that happens when we die. It's about this day, this very moment, this week, um, presently giving up your kingdom, your reign over your own life, your control over your own life, um, giving it up to God, giving it up to Jesus' kingdom. This is why he has us pray, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So who, who are those? I, yes, that is the title of the point. Who are those who, who have surpassing righteousness? Those who gather around Jesus. Uh, one of the church fathers, Origen, uh, called Jesus the um, autobasilea. Uh, he, is, he is a self-generating kingdom in himself. When you get around Jesus, you come in contact with the person who is a kingdom in himself. So those gathered around Jesus means that your, your kingdom will come down. Um, what, what that looks like is what the rest of the Gospels are about. So um, the bleeding woman, my kingdom won't suffice. I can't heal myself. I come to the true king. Uh, the widow of Nain, my kingdom can't hold back death. I come to the one who is the true king, whose kingdom will never end. Uh, Zacchaeus in a tree. My kingdom has failed, says Zacchaeus. I come to the one whose kingdom will bring me life. And, and, and as a result, I give away half of everything that I have. I give up my kingdom. Uh, the woman who weeps at Jesus' feet. My life of, of trying to find satisfaction in other people has failed, Jesus. I come to your feet. I say, I submit to your kingdom. Lord, your kingdom come in my life. So this kingdom comes to those who gather around Jesus and receive that as a gift. And then bit by bit, he begins to form in you by his grace, by the spirit. He begins to form that in you into a person whose righteousness is formed at the center of your being. So that's the who. And finally, um, how does that, how is that? What's that like? Um, as you come to Jesus this week, uh, as we come to Jesus as a community and say, your kingdom come, not ours, what, what would our community look like if this were true of us? Uh, we, we'll just take, we'll just take a, a page out of, out of Jesus' words previous in this passage. Um, we become salt and light. Now, for the sake of time, can I just talk about salt for just a minute? And I'll leave you to, to ponder light, okay? Does that sound good? Uh, for salt, what would it look like for us to be um, a, a salt-like community? Um, a community that has this, this kind of righteousness in us. What's the quality that we have? Um, well, so two things you know about salt. Um, in the ancient world, salt is a preservative. Uh, salt keeps food from spoiling. I I've never used salt in this way, so I feel a little bit silly talking about it, but I assume it's true. Don't, uh, uh, salt keeps food from spoiling. Um, so the people of, uh, that are gathered around Jesus operate in the same way. So in other words, we're... Where things are going bad or about to spoil, 
the, the people that are gathered around Jesus move toward that rather than away from it. Uh, yesterday, a group of 15 of us went down to Emmanuel Ministries to, uh, to serve some folks who are experiencing homeless um, and uh, down at Emmanuel Ministries. Um, and, and, and if you ask somebody what that was like, the, those who went, uh, it, it, they probably would say to you that they didn't do much. They served a few plates to people. They helped clean up afterward. They stood around a lot and watched and waited and were ready to serve. Um, it, but, but it's actually, that's very salty of them, isn't it? Uh, they, they, they moved toward decay, where decay and death was about, was, is beginning to overtake in our city. And they moved to preserve. They moved to, to bring life. Um, and a lot of that sometimes is standing and waiting and being ready to do that. Um, so uh, and another use of salt uh, is that you're probably familiar with is that salt makes food taste better. Um, this one I do know a little bit more about. Uh, I know that there are now apparently some of you who like chocolate with cherry at the center. Um, I, I suspect now that there are also folks in here who like eggs without salt. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I, I want to keep a good relationship with you. But um, eggs require salt in my life. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, eggs are one of my favorite food, but they're completely unedible without a proper sprinkling, sprinkling of salt. Uh, but of course, w when you have those delicious scrambled eggs with the salt on them, you're not thinking, oh, this salt is delicious. Uh, what salt does is it, it improves the taste of something by pointing to something else, right? Um, salt is a wonderful gift in that way. And so Jesus is telling those who are gathered around them that you are to be like salt in this way too. Uh, that people should walk away as though they've tasted something good. I, I, happened, I stumbled upon one of our small groups this week. Uh, I happened to be picking up Micah from somewhere, and I went into the room. A small group was full in session, and, and, I, and I, the, the group, it was good. It tasted good. I left, I left with a sense of here is a group of people um, for just a moment who, who have a richness to them. Just a moment of that. Um, I, was, I, I did not leave wowed by anybody's theological prowess. Um, I didn't leave that, that with a sense of like, I've got to get myself together to be more like those great people. Um, I didn't leave uh, feeling judged at all. Uh, it was an atmosphere, and it was a place in which every person seemed to be doing right by the other person in that room. Just for a moment. Um, that's, that's, that's the goodness of the group of people who are gathered around Jesus and so if, if we're just a religious group, brothers and sisters, if we're just those who are trying to vie for control of our own kingdoms, um, we won't move toward the pain and suffering of our city and our community. We won't move toward the striving, striving and difficulty in the lives of those people we work with. We'll, we'll move away from it. Uh, if we're just a religious group of people, we won't, we, people will not leave our gatherings uh, grateful for the community they've experienced. They'll leave sen sensing condemnation. They'll leave feeling worse. They'll leave feeling like they just scrolled social media for 30 minutes. That's kind of what, what a religious group does to people, right? You feel inadequate. You feel like that you don't measure up. Uh, you feel a little bit dead inside. The people gathered around Jesus become like salt to the earth because they have this righteousness that's been given into them by God's good gift. 
by his grace. So, brothers and sisters, may we be a people of this surpassing righteousness. Let me, let me close us in prayer. Uh, Father, we, we thank you, Lord, um, for your calling to this. We, we say, Lord, that, um, that it is by your grace that, that you can do this work in and through us, Lord, we pray. May we be a people of surpassing righteousness. Uh, may we be a people of salt and light um, in our homes, in our schools, um, in our places of work this week, to our families as we leave here, to one another. Lord, we entrust this to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.